Well, I was uh, glad when the Lord said unto me, uh, let us drive down to Waco, uh, to the land of good brisket and ribs, uh, and to fellowship with you guys. Uh, it grieves me that we're not in person, uh, but it is a joy uh, to be able to break uh, the bread of life with you regardless. Uh, if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Isaiah chapter 25, Isaiah chapter 25, looking at verses 6 to 9, Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9. The text says this, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow and aged wine well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Let me pray for us. Father, we come to you as a mixed bag of individuals uh, who have various needs that need to be met. Some of us are battling despair, anxiety, depression. Uh, some of us had great weeks, uh, and we are just looking for you to speak into those situations as well. But Lord, our greatest need in this moment is to hear from you. So would you, Jesus, the true preacher and the best preacher in this room, would you preach the gospel to our hearts? Would you, by the power of your spirit, uh, enact change in, our, change in our hearts as we hear your word read and preached? We pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. I don't know about you, uh, and I don't know how your family operates, uh, but in my family, we love to have parties. The nature of the event doesn't matter. Birthdays graduations, baby showers, job promotions, reunions. It doesn't matter. We are going to have a good time. In other words, if your last name is Haynes, then you better know how to throw a good party. I was reminded of this reality a little over a year ago after we buried my beloved grandmother. My grandmother was a beautiful, strong, regal black woman. She was one who would pray for you or cuss you out, whichever one you needed in that moment. And I remember leaving the funeral emotionally, physically, and spiritually exhausted from officiating the funeral, but more importantly, from saying goodbye one last time to this beloved woman. After pulling into my grandparents' house where the rest of my family had gathered, I was prepared to walk into the house and be greeted by my family who needed my counsel. But when I walked in, I was shocked, but I shouldn't have been. I was greeted not by folks in tears, but by folks who were ready to feast and celebrate her life. Walking into the house being greeted with sounds of joy in the context of unbelievable heartbreak soothed my soul. Don't miss this. In the midst of death, we were going to have a celebration. In the valley of the shadow of death, we were about to turn up. The, the, that morning, many of us could hardly eat, but now in that moment, our plates were going to be filled to the brim as we celebrated 
a life that is well lived. Beloved, you see, this is the very picture that the prophet Isaiah paints on the canvas of our imagination with our text this morning. In Isaiah chapter 25, verses 6 to 9, we are told that death and all that comes with death will give way to an eternal celebration that is hosted by the Lord our God. In the context of death and judgment, the people of God are told that the Lord is going to throw a resurrection banquet for all peoples. It is my hope that in the midst of death that is all around us, that you and I can get a picture of the eternal celebration that will take place at the end of the age as our God shows off his strength and makes all things new. It is to say that the cure for our cynicism and despair is found in the resurrection and exaltation of Jesus Christ. I want us to see two images in our text today. I want us to see a feast, and then I want us to see a funeral. A feast and a funeral. First, a feast. Listen to what the text says in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined. The curtain of our text is raised, and we are given the image of a feast, of a banquet. The text tells us that this feast is taking place on a mountain. According to Isaiah 24, 23, this mountain is Mount Zion. Mount Zion is the place where God reigns. Later in Scripture, we'll see that it's the very dwelling place of God and his people. Throughout the Old Testament scriptures, we get this echo of a promise that the nations will come to this mountain. And Isaiah is telling us that the Lord of hosts on this very mountain, at that very place, will be hosting a glorious and lavish feast. I don't know about you, but whenever I'm invited out to eat with someone, I always hop online and check the menu. And I do that for two reasons. I want to know if I can actually afford this place or if I would like anything at this place. And Isaiah, using wonderful Hebrew poetry, gives us a picture of what's on the menu. He says that it will be a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a feast of, of marrow. You see, Isaiah is stacking adjectives on top of adjectives to say one supreme thing. There will be plenty of food, and it will be the best food imaginable. At this banquet, at this feast, God is going to serve nothing but the best. At this table, we are not given crumbs, but we are given the most lavish of foods, the best meat, the best wine. You and I can eat and drink without fear of being gluttonous or being drunk. It's as if God is saying, you cannot overdo it at this table. At the Fortress Resort and Spa in Sri Lanka, there is a dessert that is called the Fortress Fisherman Indulgence. Uh, this in dessert needs to be requested at least 24 hours in advance. It has Irish cream and mango pomegranate compote with a champagne base. It is adorned with an 80-carat aquamarine stone. It is placed beneath a handcrafted chocolate stilt fisherman. I can't tell you how it tastes, but I can tell you that it will run you a little over $14,000. I bring that up to simply say that Isaiah tells us that God is going to throw a feast that will outshine all of the expensive feasts of this world. And the good news is that it will all be completely free to us. This is like the, 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 the chef of this expensive restaurant who opens the doors and say, come eat and enjoy. Listen to Isaiah 55 verse 1. Come everyone who thirsts. 
Come to the waters, and he who has no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without money and without price. This will hit different those who know what it's like to have their credit card decline at a restaurant or who have had to turn down an invitation due to finances. This extravagant feast comes at no cost to any of us. The cost that is associated with this meal has been paid for by the very blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. You and I are grateful recipients at this divine dinner table. At this table, we are invited to participate in the generosity and hospitality of our God. You see, this is important because the nature of the feast says something about the character of the host. The food on the table tells us something about the one who has prepared it. And the lavish nature nature of this feast tells us that our God isn't stingy. That'll preach if you let it. All of us had had to give up some things as we've strived to follow Jesus. We've sacrificed opportunities, friendships, relationships, and the list could go on and on and on. And the good news is our God Will not out, we will not out-sacrifice our God. One commentator writes this, there, this is always the principle of sacrifice. God gives that we give to him so that he may give to us. Beloved, the sacrifices you make on behalf of Jesus and his kingdom will always be worth it. On that great day, all of the dying to self, all of the fighting against your inordinate desires, all of the pushback you receive as you seek to care for folks' body and soul, all of the persecution because of your faith, all of it will be worth it as you slide your knees underneath the table and feast with Jesus. God will give abundantly and exceedingly more than we could ask or imagine or all that we have sacrificed in glory, and it will be worth it. I want you to notice who was invited to this feast. Isaiah says the guest list will be filled with all peoples. This invitation is for all people, not some people, not a certain demographic, not those of a certain financial status, not those who have met certain academic requirements, but all people. Who is on the guest list? Those in the suburbs and those in the hood. Who is at the table? Those with GEDs and those with PhDs. Who is at this table? There is both Panamanians and Puerto Ricans, those from Brazil and those from Burundi, those from New York and from Nepal, those from the west side to the east side, the millennial and the boomer, the Presbyterian and the Pentecostal, all people are invited to this feast. Who is eating with Jesus? People from every nation, tribe, and tongue. You see, we might be selective in our hospitality, but Jesus isn't. Kings would often have feasts for political reasons. They would invite those who could do something for them. They would invite their closest friends or some dignitaries. But God invites all people. Those who have nothing to offer him are invited to this table. All people from all places who are guilty of all different kinds of sins are invited to eat from this table. Those who have looked upon Christ for salvation are extended an invitation to this heavenly feast. Listen to the way Revelation 19 verses 6 through 9 describes it. Then I heard what seemed to be a voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder crying out, Hallelujah, for the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice 
and give him glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted to her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, write this, write down this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God. Beloved, a day is coming soon where you and I will slide our knees underneath the table, admire all the sights and sounds, and then we'll raise our glasses and toast to Jesus Christ who has secured our salvation. Listen to how the, the Reverend Dr. Irwin Entz describes this moment. Can you picture the nations coming to the feast? Some approaching with moccasins on their feet, others dressed in kente or overall, still others with turbans on their heads. And the one raising the glass for the toast is the bridegroom. And he raises his glass. He's not looking in the sky. Rather, he's looking everyone in the eye with a loving gaze that communicates, I see you. I made you. I redeemed you. You're welcomed at my table, queens and kings, a kingdom of priests. And beloved, when you know that, when you have that rooted and anchored in your soul, that you have a seat at the table with King Jesus, you will be freed from the temptation of compromising or downplaying who you are in order to be welcomed at the tables of this fading earthly kingdom. When you know that you have the, the seat of honor at the greatest feast that will ever be thrown, then you are freed from seeking to be honored at the tables of this fleeting and fading world. Beloved, that's the feast. But not only do we see a feast, we also see a funeral taking place. The funeral. Listen to verses 7 and 8. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth for the Lord has spoken. Isaiah tells us that at this feast, we will also bear witness to death itself. It is to say that we will witness death and all that comes with death placed into the casket and lowered into the ground, never to rise again. First, notice how Isaiah describes death. He says that it is a covering over all peoples, a veil that is spread over all nations. Isaiah speaks of the universal nature of death. He paints the picture of death like a shadow that exists over every person in every place. He imagines death like a sheet that covers each of us. No matter where we go, it's there. You see, death is an appointment that none of us will ever be late for. No matter how much we try to avoid it, no matter how much we try to run from it, no matter how much we try to dance around it, death comes for us all. No matter your culture, no matter your ethnicity, no matter your age, no matter your gender, we are all united in the fact that we will one day die. It is a shared human experience. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. Death eventually devours all of us. But Isaiah doesn't leave us there. He tells us that God himself, the one who is hosting this feast, will swallow up death forever. This phrase swallowed up could also be translated as destroyed. 
It is used several times to describe moments in which God judges his enemies. It's the picture of God enveloping death in such a way as to destroy it. God himself is going to devour death. Don't miss the irony of this. Death constantly devours other, others, but it, will, it itself will one day be completely devoured. The same thing that it does to each of us will also be the very means by which it is destroyed. God is not going to just address death but he is going to destroy it, to eradicate it forever. The Hebrew verb tense here communicates that this is a completed action. There will be no resurrection from the dead. A question that is worth asking is how will God do this? How will he destroy death? You see, the Apostle Paul references this very text in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verses 54 to 57, when the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The apostle is pulling on the thread of Isaiah 25 and saying that God will swallow up. God will destroy death by sending Jesus, who is the eternal God, who will suffer and take upon himself the wrath of God for our sins, die and be raised from the dead. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is where God shows himself to be victorious over death by destroying death. My childhood pastor, the Reverend James Beasley, would illustrate it this way. He would use his sanctified imagination. He would illustrate a conversation between death and the grave. Death came to the grave and asked the grave, if this Jesus who enters, who is the Christ, enters your grip, can you hold him? The grave responds with cockiness and confidence as if he is surprised that death would ask such a silly and foolish question. The grave says, death, every person that you've given me, their body is still with me. You gave me Adam, and I still have him. You gave me Noah, and I still have him. You gave me Joseph, and I still have him. You gave me Moses, and I still have them. You gave me Joshua and David and King Solomon. What about the prophets? You gave me Jeremiah, Isaiah, Daniel, Joel, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Zechariah, Malachi, and John the Baptist. I've got all of them. If you give me this Jesus, then I will hold him as well. On that dark Friday, death tells the grave, he's in my grip. Now it's your turn to hold him. Death held him Friday night. It held him through the day Saturday and all through Saturday night. But beloved, on Sunday morning, the son of God, the king of glory, is raised from the dead never to die again. Listen to what Jesus himself says in Revelation chapter 1. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forever and I have the keys of death and Hades. Beloved, death now stands exhausted at the feet of Jesus and soon he will return and destroy it forever. Listen to the language at the end of verse 8. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all of the earth. Jesus is not going to just destroy death, but he is also going to destroy the things that are associated with death. Our shame, our reproach, our sin, our exhaustion, our suffering will one day be gone. And here's my favorite part. 
God himself is going to wipe away tears from all faces. Imagine that if you can. God himself will individually wipe away the tears that we have cried because of the effects of death. The tears we've cried over miscarriages. The tears we've cried over a loved one who has died from dementia. The tears we've cried over the suicide of a loved one. The wailing we've cried over injustice. Those tears will be wiped away by Jesus Christ himself. On that great day, we will be invited to a funeral. But at this funeral, we will not be wearing black. We will not have veils over our faces. We will not hear a eulogy. We will not be extending our condolences to the family, but we will shout and rejoice because God has destroyed death. How will we respond on that great day? Verse 9 tells us, it will be said on that day, behold, we have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. On that day, all of us are going to shout. Presbyterians will become Pentecostals on that day. We will see what God has done, and we will know that all of our waiting has been worth it because our God has come to save us. And beloved, this gives us hope in the midst of a world that is often hopeless. That even though the night seems long, even though sin and death still seem to reign supreme, we will see their power come to an end. I mentioned earlier my beloved grandmother. And one of my favorite memories is walking into the kitchen, and she would be in her house coat and slippers sweeping and washing the dishes. And sometimes she would begin to sing these words, soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Soon and very soon we are going to see the king. Hallelujah, hallelujah, we are going to see the king. The second stanza goes like this, no more crying we are going to see more the king. No more crying there, for we are going to see the king. No more crying there. We are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to see the king. And then my last, the last verse is my favorite. No more dying there, for we are going to see the king. No more dying there, for we are going to see the king. No more dying there, for we are going to see the king. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. We are going to see the king. Beloved, this is our blessed hope that soon and very soon we are going to see our king. Let me pray for us.